0: I hope you will understand that uh, having been away from the church here for, well, over 10 years or so, uh, just how good it is to be back to see you. I hope you can appreciate that as a pastor. I uh, have many, many wonderful, um, how would I say, memories of this place and you. I know things about people who are here today that they do not want me to talk about. And you know things about me that would be best if you not talk about. So uh, I'm a little bit of uh, overwhelmed by it all. I was in the first service, and I am here this morning uh, to see how God has blessed you, continue to bless you. Uh, I have this, uh, this sense while I'm here. I have you know 26 years almost of of memories of weddings, family, friends grandchildren. I now have 14. That's a blessing. I'm thinking of the uh, baptisms we had in cattle troughs. Uh, I can think of many wonderful things that took place here at this church. And I was blessed to be able to be with you and to have those good memories. So I just want to say to each of you, especially those who have been, were with me, thank you. Thank you for being my friends, caring for my family, and loving us. We, we still remember you and are grateful. I do remember the last words that I spoke to you. They were at my uh, retirement. Get out of the, sh- in the shade here a little bit. And we were in that wonderful facility there. And I remember my last words that I wanted you to remember. I'm sure you have. Simply this, I believe the finest days of Christ Community Church are in the future. And here I am today to experience that God has truly blessed you and it is my prayer and my hope that you will continue to experience the... Lord's power and grace and mercy just poured upon you. We need a church like this in the valley and in the world today. Um, Last words from people can sometimes be important words. I think of the last words of biblical personalities, heroes of mine. There are the words of Joshua, which I think are appropriate for us here. Joshua's last words to Israel were uh, significant to him. He reminded his people of God's faithless. He said, "Not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you." Not one of them has failed. That's true for us here. You have been blessed. So celebrating the 50th year of this church is really, I think, a wonderful thing, but it's been made possible, only made possible by God's faithfulness to us over that time. And uh, I can give testimony to his faithfulness to me and to many others here. The Apostle John was probably the last surviving of the apostles. And uh, he was asked to preach in his old age. Uh, I don't know if he was as old as I am, but he was asked to speak and uh, apparently he had written all of his letters So church history tells us a a little bit about what he said at one of those sermons. It was so short and brief, but it is impactful. He said this, it is the Lord's command to do what? Little children love one another. And if this alone is all that is done, it is enough. Think of that. It's enough that we love each other. Um, You have been blessed here, still being blessed, because of your sincere love, first for Christ, His Word, and each other. And I can give testimony to that. Our Savior's last words were significant. They apply and relate to us even in the days in which we live. Jesus said as he was ascending up into heaven, it is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and guess where? To the end of the earth. Uh, That would be here. He has fulfilled his promise. Now, we don't know when Christ is returning, but we can be certain that these days were ordained By God the Father. These are not here by chance. Bad luck. These days were ordained. By God. To serve his purposes. To be a warning. To be a way of alerting the church. To the coming of our Lord. This is. I believe. For me. Is old pastors talking to, in many ways, a new church. These are really difficult days as we'll talk, but they really are exciting days. You know why? We were appointed for days like this. We were called to make a difference in days like this. I mean, this is what it's all about, becoming the salt Of a culture that's dying. To be the light in a world of such darkness. This is our day. This is when it all kind of comes together. I believe that uh, Pastor Rick and other young pastors that I know. Have been given an incredible opportunity. These may be the greatest years to Be a pastor of a church and preach the gospel since the first century. The gospel is powerful. The church is here. We've got our work to do. So we need to make our message clear. We need to do it in love. We need to do it with grace. Regardless, in spite of opposition... And rejection. Are we willing. To accept. Our calling. For these days. Now the last words of the apostle Paul. Are found in 2nd Timothy. Of which you have been part of a sermon series. It was his last. Epistle. Written. Especially for pastors. And Christians. Then and now. So they would have understanding about the days that are ahead. Now, I have been assigned today to preach from 2 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 9. I know you will all remember this who were here with me long ago. That I preached the same text at EV Free Church right here. Do you guys remember that? Just kidding. I even forgot about it, so hey. <laughs> and uh, I believe then what I preached. Went back and read my notes, and I go, yeah, I believe that. I believe it. But there's something that's happened to me. You know what it is? Now I think I'm living those days. Makes a difference. To some who may be here or hear me, you may think, well, he's the old grim reaper pastor. Well, let me explain. What I'm going to say to you is not intended to be sensational, dramatic, or scary. But I'm called and responsible to be faithful to the scriptures And let them speak to us. And each of us must decide for ourselves how these words from Paul actually relate to our own day. Is he speaking to us? Um, Certainly, they ring very relevant to me. Paul wrote this letter, as I said, to a young pastor by the name of Timothy And he was prone to timidity because he's living in difficult days in his day. And uh, the Lord spoke to Paul, said, give this message to the timid, to those who are going through difficult days. In chapter 1, verse 7, he just began this word of exhortation, but encouragement to Timothy. He said this, God gave us a spirit, a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control, the very things that we need today. Fear can overcome us, but when we rely on the power of the spirit to love and have self-control, that's a wonderful work of God, and we need Him to do that work in us in this day in which we live. The Holy Spirit comforts us in these situations so that we can comfort other people. I think you're probably all aware of this, but whatever you're going through, there are people outside who do not know Christ. There are people who are petrified, they're panicked, going, What's happening? I've had other Christians that I've known, former parishioners, call me up and say, Pastor Neim, please help me. I, I'm panicked. Or I have friends who are just absolutely terrified, and they don't know what to do. So I hope that if you're one of those, you'll listen to what I say carefully, because you may think I'm the Grim Reaper, but I'm not. Um, I am not and don't think we need any more prophets of doom today. Because we already have Fox News. (laughs) But we need faithful Christians who will point us to Christ like Noah did in his day. He pointed them to the ark and we are to point people to Christ who is our ark. Um, without Christ I think we all would agree sign on here that our generation will be flooded with catastrophic political unrest and moral disaster that could threaten the very fabric of our culture and our nation but wait wait Pastor John, aren't you just a little too pessimistic again? Well, Timothy Keller, who you may have written or read about, has often some very profound things to say to us. He made this observation. It was helpful to me. He said this. For a Christian, optimism is naivety. Optimism is naivety. Pessimism, he said, is atheistic. Now, you're going to say... You better unpack that for me. Okay, let me do that. In other words, optimism is an unfounded wish for an uncertain outcome. Pessimism is fear. Fear of an unfounded outcome without the hope of Christ and the sovereignty of God. Notice that's very different. Christian hope, however... Is confidence. It is confidence in certain outcomes that have been promised by God. He promised them, He will fulfill. Not one of His promises will He neglect. Amen? Therefore, we cannot afford to naively plug our ears, put our hands over our eyes to the reality of what really is happening to our nation and our world. We need to be realistic that there have been escalating cycles of sin in world history that threaten believers since Abel to our own day. Our hope, and I think and hopefully you all realize this, our hope isn't dependent upon statistics of medical science or technology. That's not our hope for a pandemic and for a nation that's in cultural chaos. Our hope can't be in those things. Rather, our only hope has always been and will always be Christ and his promises. That's our only hope. Anything else will keep us from understanding what's going on and what do we have to look forward to. So in our text, 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 9, and if you have your Bibles, you can do that turn now. We're going to discover three very important truths that come from these verses. I'm going, if you're a note taker, let me just give them to you very quickly. The first truth we will see in our text comes from the Apostle Paul is this. The harsh reality is that we're already living in the last days. The second is that there is a clear warning from Paul. Paul. To avoid difficult people in the last days. And the third, and I love this one, because then I can leave here, leave this church, get in the car and go home and feel good. It is, there is hope. And the hope is Christ will prevail in the last days. Guaranteed. Now, he begins in verse 1. And we're going to take just one verse, kind of just get a setting here for what he's talking about. He says, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of what? Difficulty. Really? (laughs) What are we going through? Difficulty. Difficulty. What are these days? What does the Bible have to say about last days? Well, the answer is, last days refer not only to this present church age in which we live now, but also to the days that will immediately precede the coming of Christ. The last days began... With Christ's incarnation, with his birth. And the end of this age will continue until Christ's exaltation. Incarnation to exaltation. To his coming again. This is the era in which we're living. And yes, there are difficulties in this age, and there have been. And the apostles understood that and they communicated that to their churches. For example, Peter at Pentecost tries to explain just what happened. And he said, this is what Joel the prophet promised us, that God would pour out his spirit upon us. And that was fulfilled. That began the last days as we think of them. The apostle John wrote to his contemporaries about virtually the same thing. He says in 1 John 2.18, It is the last hour. And as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrist have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. We also read in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. He gives us this view of the last days this way. He says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he says, he has spoken to us by his son. His son has spoken very clearly about these days, spoken about salvation, talked about heaven, talked about the things we need to know. He came to bring hope to a lost and dying world. At the end of this church age, there will be ever-increasing cycles or clusters of difficulties. They will not just be in one country like ours. It will be noticed in, around the world. It will be like a woman in childbirth. And with each contraction, the unsolved problems of the world will intensify. Are we entering the end of days just before Christ returns? Well, I can't predict that. But I can say with all certainty, that our days were fixed by God, with His authority, and we are called to live by faith in His protective grace. He will protect his church. I will build my church, and the gates of Haiti will what, not prevail. He's building his church. He is protecting his church because he's not through with the church. Paul urged Timothy, he said, understand this. Or if you follow the way the word is used, it is continually understand. Or we could even say, keep understanding, keep accepting the reality that difficulties Will characterize the last day. Keep understanding. Don't forget that. Paul forewarned Christians throughout this age to prepare for Christ's return. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 2 through 7, Paul is much more specific about those days. He said, For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come. How will he come? Well, like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security. Then suddenly destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman. And they will not escape. But you. But you are not in darkness. Brothers. For that day will not surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep. These are days we can't afford to be asleep at the wheel. See, this is what we're called for. This is, this is kind of like, this is coming to that time that Jesus is talking about. The prophets of old spoke about it. I mean, we're going to some very, very uh, special, unique, wonderful days that will be difficult. But these are days that we were called to take part in. Now, when you hear words of, well, how would I say, difficulty, I love the way the Lord taught. He would talk very straightforwardly about uh, the dangers and, and uh, you know, last days and so forth. But then he'd also add in, like in John 16, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. Peace. That's what he wants to give us. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, be encouraged. I have overcome the world. We must grab on to that last phrase. We must remember when you're watching the news, listening to stuff, you're looking at the chaos, you need to say to yourself, Jesus said, I will overcome. He will be victorious. The church will be victorious, even though it goes through difficult times. We need to be reminded he's on the throne And he's ruling and reigning over all things in heaven and on earth, including this pandemic, the lawlessness we see, and yes, even over these crazy elections. That may seem hard for you to believe. The last days are described by Paul as difficult. He said, understand, that's what they will be. And unfortunately, our English word difficulty doesn't really do adequate um, understanding of what it says in the original. The word in Greek for difficult is used in Matthew 8.28. And it is used to describe two demonic Possessed people who are running around in the uh, graveyard in the, amongst the tombs. And they are so fierce, so difficult, that no one could even approach them. That's difficult. That's what he's talking about. These two men were difficult in that they were turbulent, violent. Grievous, life-threatening, and demonic. Hey, by the way, would that help understand what we've gone through for nine months? Difficult. Paul's prophecy is is intended to keep us from being surprised by all this craziness. Why are we surprised at that? I grieve. I'll admit, I grieve. But I'm not surprised. Paul clearly warned first century Christians who were living in Rome about what to expect. He said, you will know that God's wrath is being revealed, not just will be, is being revealed when they see God give over their nation to the terrible consequences of the sin that they demand." He lays this out for us in Romans 1, 18 through 32. And I find two, if you would, stages of God's wrath. So you know that that's what's happening. The first stage of God's wrath, says Paul, is evident when he gives a nation over to its foolishness. Professing to be, what? Wise, they became fools. And what was their Foolishness they exchanged the truth of God for lies that were basically propagated from the pit. The second stage of God's wrath can be seen when God gives over a nation to its own (laughs) self-destruction. For enthusiastically promoting The exchange of natural sexual relationships for degrading, shameful, unnatural, same-sex relationships. Now, when we talk about this, and I'm not sure that some churches feel comfortable talking about it, but when I'm through today, I'll leave this all up to Pastor Rick. (laughs) We have to talk about this. It's not just a moral problem. It's not like being hating people like this. No, it's we have to love them. Be gracious to them. But we need to understand it's a sign, it's evidence that God is, wrath is on our country. I I can say, I grieve, but I'm not surprised. And the third and final stage of God's wrath is revealed when he gives a nation over to a debased mind. A debased mind. A mindset that encourages. Now, I'll be careful with my words. A mindset that encourages its citizens to explore the depths of sin as an expression of their own personal freedom and then (laughs) applaud its heroes who openly engage in debauchery You say, well, how can you say that, Pastor John? How do we know that? Hey, have you been tuning into the Emmy Awards lately? You've got a real quick picture of what this third stage is. We're there. I'm sorry. We're there. Now, Pastor Don, you're the voice of doom. No, I'm not. At least I don't want to be. I guess I am a voice that wants to echo what the Scripture says so that we are prepared. We're ready. Now, is there any hope for us? Mm, Yeah. I, I just simply can say this in my time I have. The only hope for our country, in my opinion, is a massive revival driven by a sovereign God That sweeps across our country so that we repent of our sin. If that doesn't happen, these days are going to be cut short. So, as the church, we sit here. What do we do? I'll talk more about that. But one is, you pray. Pray for God's mighty work amongst us. And then we have a part in sharing the gospel. The Apostle Peter seemed to want his people of his day and ours as well. He said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But, here, I love this, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering. The rejoice that you can identify with a cross. You can identify with a Savior that came to offer his life as a sacrifice. We get to identify with that. And he says, so also you may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, we rejoice now, but wait until the day that he breaks in here. If we're here, I tell you I'm looking forward to that day I'm out of here <laughs> we're out of here and I tell you rejoicing knows nothing here like what will be when we're there I can't wait for that day now Jesus talked about unprecedented uh, signs like uh, Cataclysmic celestial signs, the increase of severe earthquakes, famines, pandemics, pestilence. Can we say pandemics? That will overwhelm the world's health organization. They could not handle this. Huh, this is also fascinating that their great world powers will promise peace while they are preparing for Armageddon. Worldwide news will be dominated by reports of lawlessness, violence, and anarchy. Worldwide oppression and persecution of the church will increase. Paul writes to Timothy uh, the verses after what I'm going to be doing. Verse 12, he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. You can say, that looks pretty gloom, gloomy. I mean, it, hey, give me a little hope here. Well, Jesus did. In the midst of all those things he said in Matthew 24, he said this. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world. As a testimony to all peoples and nations. And that gets what? And then the end will come. Uh, Some of you know, some of you don't know, that after I resigned and retired from here, I was given the privilege and honor to um, serve in other countries as a trainer or teacher of pastors and church leaders. Hi, Let me tell you, when you get to heaven, my friends, you are going to be so overwhelmed with how much love and fun there's going to be. I've tasted some of it. Some of my dear friends in China, I love them. I've been there with them for almost seven years, on and off. <clears throat> and uh, one of the last times we were together, we cried because we knew we may never see each other again. With the... Uh, persecution going on they're facing and their uh, their approach to me and so they said uh, we may never meet together again and I go yeah but I said uh, I think you're ready to take what's coming on and they said you know pastor I think we are we talked about discipleship we talked about empowering evangelism diversifying the church spreading the church out not all in one place spread out so when I was with them one group I've worked with he stood up in front of the pastor he said you know I know some of you are crying because you they've interrupted your church they won't let you have Sunday school there because the government said they're not your children they're the government's to train not yours no Sunday school no youth groups I mean seriously and then they interrupt your service You have to salute the flag and sing the national anthem. You can't preach the Ten Commandments. You know why? Why? What's the first commandment? Thou shall have no other God before me. And guess what they say? That won't work here because we are the ultimate authority. That's going on. These are solid, biblically-based, trained people. So the last report, and I'll make it brief. Because you need to hear something good. They told me, Pastor John, what you said is to diversify, to decentralize. We did that. We trained, we discipled, we empowered, whatever. We can report that we have 12 cell groups now that are trained and going out. They also, when I was there, it was one church that was under scrutiny by the government. Guess what? They have four. And they're saying. People are coming to Christ in great numbers from where they are. How could that be possible? What did Jesus say? I will build my church. And the gates of Hades cannot prevail. What did Jesus say? Take heart. I have overcome the world. He's building this church. We should be encouraged And my exhortation to you as a former pastor here, please do your part in helping world missions through your missionaries and other ways. Um, My expectation, let's get the mission done so we can go home. Uh, I'm waiting on you guys. (laughs) I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? These are really wonderful days. The gospel is going out, and I think I've seen the end of the world, or pretty much. And the gospel's there. Great days. We've been forewarned about these difficult days. And then he briefly, and I will make it brief, warns us about difficult people. He says to avoid them. Let me just read uh, the list of the characteristics that he mentions that will characterize our culture or the culture of the last days. You see if it's relevant. Verses 2 through 8. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents. Some translations say resist authority. Ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with uh, conceit. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Does any of that ring like maybe somewhat relevant to where our culture is? But guess what he says next. Avoid such people. And I'm going to explain that so I'm going to move on here. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women Burdened with sins and led astray by various passions. Always learning and never able to arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. The church is to avoid. And I need to explain what that means. They are to avoid those who are preaching another gospel. What does that sound like? Another gospel is a gospel without a cross, without an empty tomb, and with an unoccupied throne. That's not the gospel. Of Jesus Christ, we have a cross. He was on it, dying for us. He was placed in the tomb for three days, and he rose from the dead. We have an empty tomb that gives us hope of our uh, promise of being with Christ. And then we also have a throne that's occupied right now. Jesus is on the throne. He is very active in everything that is going on. Avoid these turbulent, treacherous, perverse people. Now I have to clarify. To avoid first means not to quickly give them official status, positions of leadership or opportunities to teach, teach in the church or wherever, even if they at first appear to be sincere. You can be sincerely wrong. We're looking for people who are sincerely right, sincerely biblical. We need to avoid getting suckered into people who come with slick words and don't come with the true gospel. And just because someone is winsome and comes to a church or comes to a uh, TV station, that doesn't mean that they have come from the Lord. Uh, The angel of light comes with many different masks, and I'm not talking about um, this kind of mask. I have one here, just in case. That's not the mask we're talking about. We're talking about false imposters coming with different masks that have a super spiritual, pious smile, and a pretentious smirk on their face. Um, we are to keep spiritually distancing ourselves, not from the world, not from our neighbor, not from our uh, people we work with or at school. We're not to avoid them, but we are to avoid those who come teaching false doctrine. That's the avoidance. These people who may infiltrate or attempt to need to be dealt with by the church. And I think Pastor Rick spoke about that last week to you. They need to be dealt with gently, graciously, yet corrected with God's word and warned so that they may repent and come to their senses before it's too late. Now these spiritual counterfeits, he said, will be crafty, subtle. Apparently in the first century there were those, and particularly mentions uh, women who were housemakers, homemakers. And they became especially the target of false teachers. Uh, And the women then and now, I've, I've been a pastor over 50 years, and I can tell you this, it's the women I've known who have had such a passion to know the Word of God. They're in Bible studies. They're in groups. They do this, they do that. So Paul's not against the women What he's saying is that there are some who will spend more time reading popular religious books or listening to people who are outside of the church about doctrines that are not essential, biblical, historical. When you read all that and you do not study the scriptures for yourself... You're in trouble. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's why we're men and women of the Word. That fits for men and women. You're fortunate here. You've got, you've got a, a, a great pastor. He loves the Word. I've heard him. And you're just fortunate to have that. Cling on to that. Treasure that. Not everyone has that. Well, Paul says, I can give you two examples. Got the two magicians that were in Pharaoh's court. That's what it's going to be like for people that try to come into the church or try to affect the church. They're like those two magicians, Janus and Jambres. Now, you may remember Moses had the staff of Aaron in his hand as he stood before Pharaoh. And he threw that staff on the ground, and it just came alive. It was a slithering serpent. And everybody goes, whoa. But the two magicians who know magic have power from other sources, and I'm talking from the pit. They took out a rod, and they threw it down, and guess what happened? It mimicked. It looked like they could do the same thing. Moses, what is your God? Look what we can do. Uh, except there's a little bit of something that happened after that. You've got to remember, what was it? Moses' serpent gobbled up and st- all of those, those other snakes to, do, to, to explain to us that the power of God is far greater than anything that the darkness can produce. We have to be convinced of that. Now we come to the, in some ways, the best part. There is a blessed hope. I could tell you with the authority of God's word. I'd love to be able to say that. With all the authority of the scriptures, I can tell you that Christ will come in triumph and prevail in the last days. We know how it's going to end. We just don't know when. He said in verse 9, But they, these spiritual creeps, will, get very, will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was of that of those two men. In other words, what he's saying is, remember how those two guys who put out their little magic sticks and how the staff of the Lord devoured them? Well, when it's all said and done, the imposters will be revealed. And it'll be plain to everyone. So does it look to you at times like evil is winning? Does it look like uh, the victory goes to the darkness? My friends, it's dark. But I can tell you, the light will prevail. So in days like this, we have to cling to the promises and the words of Christ. In the midst of those situations of the last days that are going to be turbulent and treacherous and grievous and all that, we need to remember the words of Jesus. We must be a church that is Christ-centered, word-centered. My friends in other countries, they love Jesus. They don't know about the millennium. They don't know about pre-, mid-, post-trib. They don't know a lot of things, and they know what? I ask now where I focus. You know what I focus on? Who's Jesus? What did he say? What are the doctrines that are important? The reason I tell you that is they think Jesus is their hero, savior, but hero. That is, he was one of them. He became poor. They were rejected. He was rejected. They suffer. He suffered. You see what, in their mind, they're going to go, he came for us. He came for us poor people. He came for us who have had little, been disregarded by culture. He's our Savior. And and when I'm with him, I just see we've got to get back to the simplicity of the gospel. And the simplicity of the gospel is Jesus. So here are my last words. And everyone said, amen. Okay. Here's his words. Listen. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And I would add, and I think he was saying, forever. That's hope. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart. I have overcome the world. So... Take heart. Christ has overcome the world. Difficult days, but a great Savior is coming back for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for our time together, for this beautiful place that you gave to us. Thank you for the leadership of the church. Bless them, protect them, empower them. May this be a place where the gospel is clearly proclaimed and where people are sent out prepared to give hope to a world that's dying and is in fear thank you for your goodness and faithfulness through the years we pray in Jesus name and all God's people say Amen Thanks for listening to this message from Christ Community Church of Laguna Hills For more information and resources from Christ Community visit us at www.ccclh.org.